Welcome to Conversations with Big Rich. This is an interview-style podcast. These interviewed are all involved in the off-road industry. Being involved, like all of my guests are, is a lifestyle, not just a job. I talk to past, present, and future legends, as well as business owners, employees, media, and land-use warriors, men and women who have found their way into this exciting and addictive lifestyle we call off-road. We discuss their personal history, struggles, successes, and reboots. We dive into what drives them to stay active in off-road. We all hope to shed some light on how to find a path into this world that we live and love and call off-road. This episode of Conversations with Big Rich is brought to you by the Off-Road Motorsports Hall of Fame. The mission of the Hall of Fame is to educate and inspire present and future generations of the off-road community by celebrating the achievements of those who came before. We invite you to help fulfill the mission of the Off-Road Motorsports Hall of Fame. Join, partner, or donate today. Legends live at ormhoff.org. On today's episode of Conversations with Big Rich, we will be talking about Frank Scoop Vessels. Our guest is Bonnie Vessels. She will be talking to us and, and letting us know all about Scoop, their life and, and his life, and and how how Frank was able to impact the world of off-road and NASCAR. Frank was a 2007 inductee into the Off-Road Motorsports Hall of Fame, and I'd like to thank Bonnie Vessels for coming on and talking about Frank. Bonnie, thank you so much for being here. Thanks, Rich. I'm nervous, and I hope you guide me along. No worries, no worries. I'm uh, I'm kind of an old pro at doing this, but uh, luckily we edit. So <laughs> as we go through this, um, if there's any uh, any spots in there, you know, we'll clean them up and don't worry about it. Just relax and consider us like sitting around a campfire. Yes, sir. So let's start off right away with uh, where was Frank born and raised? He was born in Long Beach, California. And uh, he was born at the time his grandparents were building and developing and ultimately opening up Los Alamitos Racecourse for quarter horses. Wow, that's amazing. So he was in the horse racing world at a young age. From birth. And did he uh, did he work the the racetrack and and the horses at an early age like that? Well, he he was just raised in the day to day of it. He'd be on the backside with the trainers and jockeys and the horses, and then he'd be up in the grandstands with his parents or grandparents at night. So he got to meet both sides of the horse world. So racing was in his blood, whether. It, with any kind of racing, um, the the concept of going fast and the competition. So that's probably what was a big drive for him. Yeah, and his, his dad always told him, you're not going to be able to get away from the horse racing because it's bred into your genes. <laughs> that was literally the case. I can imagine that. And I would imagine he went through college or school in school also dealing with like animal husbandry or things like that it was was that a case no he he went to a junior college and he took a um, business course and uh i don't know that he actually even finished it he was he was more involved with the the surfing 
where he was going to school. More involved with the surfing? Yes, sir. Okay, so horses and surfing. That's Southern California right there. <laughs> yep, yep. And uh, he was born in 1952. Correct. And so in those early 60s, in that area, would probably, you know, that 50s and 60s was pretty rural still. It wasn't, LA really saw growth impact in the 60s of, of growth, but um, are you from that area as well? No, I was from North San Diego County, but but Scoop would always talk about Mr. Disney was building Disneyland at the same time his grandfather was building Los Alamitos, and they lived there on Catella, and he said during that time frame, if someone drove down the road at night, it woke you up. Oh, wow. Okay. So it, was, it, it wasn't uh, as impacted as it is now, of course. No. Do you know when he got interested in, we'll, we'll jump ahead a little bit here, into the off-road motorsports? It was when he'd gotten a speeding ticket and his, his officer that pulled him over congratulated him and told him he'd given his grandfather, his grandmother, his mother, and his dad a ticket. And now Scoop was getting a ticket. And that was how it all kind of started. <laughs> that's that's awesome when the when the police officer can uh can go back that far with uh yeah. with the family. <laughs> and uh yeah. okay, that's that that's some insight. When when he was young and working in the, around the stables and everything, that's where he got his nickname Scoop, is that correct? Uh yes and no. Okay. He always told everybody and I'm sure he's he's uh, yelling at me right now, but uh, he always told everybody it was his first job at the racetrack. In reality, his mother had had a horse fall on him. She'd suffered eight miscarriages, carried him to term. She uh, couldn't birth him, so they took him by C-section. And when he was born, his granddad came in and says, oh, my God, that kid's got a head like a scoop shovel. <laughs> and it's and that stuck. Okay, that's 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 actually a better story. <laughs> <laughs> I think so. I think so. But I can understand why you know the the scoop shovel in the in the paddocks sounded uh, sounded more more realistic or family right. orientated, I guess. <laughs> mm-hmm. And what was what was scoop like around around friends and and you know even in people that he just met. met? He was one of those guys that could make friends with anybody. And he was as good of friends with the guys on the backside of the racetrack as he was with the guys up in the the suites and everything. And um, one of the things that struck me from his memorial was that um, people just over and over and over comment on the fact that everybody was his friend. It was that easy for him. That you can't teach that. No. That that's a that's a personal skill that that just develops and is probably one of the best traits for business, whether he ever finished business classes or not, and spent more time surfing. That that right there helps helps somebody get ahead, as mm-hmm. as Scoop was able to do. Um, it's amazing, you know, reading his history, 
and the different um, websites that have listed his history and the history, how broad it is from the horse racing to the off-road racing to, you know, helping develop the NASCAR truck series and just the different people that he, that he dealt with. It's, it's absolutely amazing. And uh, let's talk about, about some of those experiences, if you would, um, about, you know, the getting into, let's start with, with the horse racing and how that, how that helped, how, what, what he did to help develop that along or how he got involved in it deeper. Well, he, he, he just simply lived it day in and day out and, uh, he watched and he grew up with it. And, um, there was a lot of comparisons with the trainers and the jockeys and race car owners and drivers. And he was someone that was able to share those experiences crosswise with, with the sport or the game he was playing at the time. They all interacted. Right. That makes, that makes a lot of sense. Did he ever, did he ever ride himself in any races that you know of, or was it more <laughs> as uh, on the other side of it? He showed horses. Uh, the one time, one and only time, I think he told me, well, he used to say that he passed being jockey size when he was 12 years old because of his, his size. But um, one year when the, track was running so halter horses the, the horses i'm losing my train of thought the horses that go behind a buggy his buddy set him up and uh, put him in a cart behind a horse at close proximity that had a case of diarrhea oh and uh as far as i know that's the one and only time he raced around los al except for being in a race car so his grandfather not only thought he, you know, had the head of a shovel, scoop shovel, but uh, he actually was kind of seeing the future. <laughs> That's Yeah, uh, <laughs> it was harness racing. I'm sorry, I was racing. looking for harness racing, yeah. That's that's incredible. I, that's not a position I'd want to be in. <laughs> no, he was only in it once, and I'm sure that those guys that thought it was a good prank got paid back pretty well. <laughs> I would imagine. So let's let's talk a little bit about pranks. Um, I would imagine that that somebody like that and being around all the people that he was, there was probably some pranks going on. Do you do you know of any? Wow, probably too many to share. Um, he and Bob Gordon were really really keen on pranking people uh dennis moore was a guy that did the racetrack surface management and dennis and scoop and bob used to get in a lot of trouble for the pranks they pull but um they did the typical stuff like hot wiring a seat so that somebody jump in their truck and turn it on to go somewhere and shock them and different things like that he um did something one time on one of his off-road deals where they stopped, I don't know if it was Gail Pike or somebody else, but um, he snuck some clams or crab meat or something into a carburetor and then let them go pre-run. And when they finished that day, they got to sit around and try to figure out what the smell was. So there was just all sorts of different little games going on all the time. 
Yeah, I'm sure glad none of that happens anymore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, racers will be racers. Yeah. So let's uh, let's talk about the when when his mother, I guess it was, that sold the Los Alamitos, and mm-hmm. then they moved the operations. Mm-hmm. And then he kind of took over the running of those new operations. Is that correct? Yes, sir. And yeah. what was the name of that operation? And and what uh, is it still producing horses now? Well, they they went down in the mid eighties and they purchased San Luis Rey Downs Thoroughbred Training Center, and along with that, San Luis Rey Downs Golf Course, and. Then um, while he was rebuilding the golf course, which had been closed for some years due to flooding and stuff, he uh, found a piece of property that eventually became the stallion farm. And it was roughly 2,000 acres, and it was an old cattle operation. And um, I met him when he was starting to lay out and create that farm. And... uh, it was all done on the back of uh, placemats from either a bar or a restaurant. And I watched him design it and it was in his mind. He designed it in his mind. And I was lucky enough to meet him during that time frame and watch him build his dream. Well, that's amazing. And how did you meet him? Met him at the 30th anniversary of the Bonsall Lions Club. My grandfather had been the first president there in Bonsall of the Lions Club. And uh, I was single and my mom and I went to that event that night. And uh, this older guy kept coming around and asking me if I would dance with his boss. And after the third or fourth time, I I said, "Um, sir, if he wants to dance with me, he just needs to come over and ask me. And uh, it never ended after that moment in time. Okay, so he actually came over and asked you to dance then. Yes. Excellent, excellent. And and uh, he was younger than than the guy that was coming over and asking. Yeah, the guy that was coming over and asking was the resort manager at the golf course. Oh, okay. <laughs> April of eighty five. That's awesome, and watching him develop his dream like that. I would imagine there was always trials and tribulations and, and things to overcome. Were there, were there some things that he might have overcome that helped him in the future with other things? Was he the kind of guy that just took on the challenge and just went full at it? I would say he had a, a plan in his mind, and he took it area by area, and he would always take something away from another farm he'd been at and he used those other examples to know, well, that works or this doesn't work. And um, he just built it as, as he was going along. And it was during the same time frame that Cal Wells was building that black Chevy and scoop took the time off during those years to build the farm, he called it his sabbatical. And it was when he was reopening the golf course and building the farm. And then when the farm got done, the truck was done and, and um, he switched back over to focusing on, on on-road racing. So 
you guys met in 85, you said? Correct. Okay. And he was the winner of the 1977 Baja 1000. So he was racing before the transfer and then took time off. The sabbatical you're talking about was from racing. Correct. Okay. And how did he how did he get involved with that that first Baja 1000 and become a driver because it was his first race and he won it? Well, I'm not sure the stats on that, but I do know that if we go back to that conversation about the speeding ticket and the family, right? That that, that was when his father suggested he think about racing in the desert and his dad had ventured out a little bit in that yellow van that they had. And um, Bill Strop was part of the picture, and and that's what ultimately got him into the desert was his dad getting him off the streets. That makes sense. Harder to get tickets off-road. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so the first, the first truck that he raced um, was – or that truck that he raced, that was a, a Strop truck? That was the Black uh- Ford? Well, the first thing he raced was a yellow van, yellow oh, Ford yeah. van. Okay. And and he said when that thing kicked up in the rear end, you'd be looking straight down at dirt. Yeah, that would be that'd be unnerving. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're sitting on top of the front wheels basically. <laughs> yeah. 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 And uh oh, that's awesome. Any any stories that he had from back then on those racing that besides, you know, when it would kick up and being straight, looking straight down into the dirt? Well, I've just, I've got old pictures. And one of the things that I enjoyed was that, um, that thing was street legal. I don't know if it was the entire time or early or after, but the, the van had personalized plates on it for Los Alamitas. And, um, and like I said, his dad started off in it and, and I guess, um, that's about all I know uh, of that particular vehicle. It was just that he and his dad and Bill Strop would share rides in it. Okay. And do you know what the progression was after the van? It would have been one of the mini black trucks. And again, it was probably a Strop truck. And um, I don't know. I can't think without looking back on my pages to see when that van was running, nor do I know when the first truck was created. Okay. Fair enough. He was uh, named Rookie of the Year in 1978, and that's the year, I I would imagine that was because of the 77 win. Um, Yeah. That was, uh, I would imagine that was something that that he was pretty proud of. Yeah. The the thing about off-road racing, that was huge for scoop was the fact that um, his family had an established business and career path for him. And he got introduced into the world of off road and what he did and what he created and what he became in that was all of his own doing. And so he had a racetrack career to fall back on, but his, his, uh, Love and life ended up being the off-road world. And and so when he was inducted into the Hall of Fame, 
he was in several already at that point in time. And that was the most emotional I ever saw him was him thinking he didn't quantify that honor. And, um, yet the pride of knowing that it was something he created on his own for himself. I can imagine that that was, that that was pretty close to his heart that way, um, doing it on his own. I, mm-hmm. I, I can understand that. And then being, being honored in the Off-Road Motorsports Hall of Fame and then questioning, you know, whether you really had the, you know, the, the background to do that, to be that is, uh, isn't, you know, that's a that's a question I think a lot of a lot of people have that have been in there um, at least from the talking that I've had. So, mm-hmm. what was what was that night like when he got inducted into Ormhoff? Was uh, where was that that where was that induction dinner at that ceremony? Probably at Michael's there at South Point. Um, okay, he, he was a guy that wasn't afraid to show his emotions. And uh, we had a little game where when our son was playing baseball, he was a pitcher. And if he choked up, we'd tell him to breathe. And so later in life, when Scoop would get choked up and emotional about something, we would use that word to kind of break the moment's emotions so he could speak. And um, it was just a really, really proud, proud night for him. And um, something that I'll always be grateful that he was alive for. Right. And were you, he, he also up before that point, of course, um, he had won the, um, was it three or four different titles um, for in, at score? Is that correct? Um, yeah. He'd won different class championships and, like you said, rookie of the year and, and different titles like that. And were you, you were around for that second phase of the off-road racing, correct? Right. And what was, what was the fa- his favorite race that you recall? I probably have to say it would be a split between Riverside Raceway and uh, the Ball 1000. That's a that's a quite a difference, but I can understand that. Yeah. And what was his his philosophy on on off road racing? You know, on on how to say manage a car during a race. His his belief was uh, it was multi level, but um, one example is he always said slower is smoother which protects the car. He um, was a master at staying in touch with the sponsors. He loved going back. He felt it was critically important to go back to BF Goodrich or Chevrolet or Ford each year, all the different sponsors he had, and to to walk in and sit down at those guys' desk. And um, he felt that paying attention to the sponsors was of utmost importance. He also felt like in order to thank those that were out there watching him, he needed to be as on hands friendly as he could. So they would respect him as a driver. And he had an incredible gift for working through corporate 
ventures as well as just for the people themselves and and he loved it that's that's incredible that's 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 the way it should be it relationships between teams or drivers and their sponsors or what I like to call marketing partner partners it's, right. it's more of a partnership or should be more of a partnership than than just a sponsorship sponsor to me sponsorship is somebody handing you um what you need and then you putting a sticker on and and then going out and racing um that partnership is trying is everybody working together like a family to bring everybody up in the family such as developing the off-road TA tires with BF and, and all that history. He, um, I got to go with him after the sabbatical when, when the Cal Wells truck came out and, uh, watch him test those tires in the desert with the engineers. And they would just bring out different tires and have them run down a bad stretch, like the rock garden on the mint race or wherever. And, uh, he'd run it down there and come back and then tell the engineers exactly what he felt in the tire. And it just, it was really fun to watch and listen to, but he had a feel for the car that was second to none and he could give them that input and then they could correct or change the tires accordingly or the race car. That too is very important is being able to, uh, to help with the development of, of, of parts like that. So then he, um, I, I just looking at my notes here, and I, I was mistaken earlier when I said the he was 1978 uh, scores rookie of the year. It was actually 1972, and he was a sportsman um, score <laughs> off road sportsman of the year in 1978. Yeah, I've got all those pictures and plaques everywhere. That that van that I was talking about, the yellow Ford van, was a 71. So that that all fits. Okay, that makes sense. And um, it says that, uh, my notes say that he it included 30 major race victories and four points championships. That's a pretty good, pretty good record. Um, you know, it stands up to just about anybody. Yeah, and you think about what was available technology-wise back in those years versus what's available now. And uh, it was it was a tough go, but that was his uh, desire was to be the best that he could against all conditions. And and uh, his guys gave him race cars that would do that, and sponsors did. And and uh, the relationship with BF Goodrich was second to none. I think that's very important is being able to, and, and, and at that time too, is, is the development of that technology. Um, without, without those early, earlier pioneers um, and being able to, to talk about what the vehicle's doing and then figuring out how to make it do, it, do its job better, um, we would still be all racing class 11s, you know, I think. Yeah, well, I... I can tell you, like on that blazer, that wing on top wasn't there just to be pretty. And he showed me and told me how going across Diablo Dry Lake and other places like that in Nevada, that the angle of that 
that wing would determine whether or not that car was going to stay on the ground or if it was going to fly. And, and uh, it was interesting getting to learn that it was actually a critical part of the makeup of that car instead of just being a BFG advertisement spot. Right. <laughs> more sheet metal, more advertising. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, uh, he was part of the American Thunder program. Yes. And that was part of BFG's alliance with um, Chevrolet and Mobile Oil and their race program. Do you do you recall that? Um, I know that that happened a little earlier than 85. I don't know if that... No, did- no, no, no. That was later on. Oh, okay. And um, Scoop had been running his own truck, the Cal Wells truck. And he put together that multi-sponsor package and he walked that into the door, John Nelson's shop. And that was what created the sponsor package that, that became known as American Thunder. Okay. So John Nelson had his hands in, in the development of, of help with the race truck. Yeah. John built and designed the race truck, maintained it and did all that, but, but Scoop, I think, brought in probably the lion's share of sponsorship for that thing to work. Right, that makes sense. And how, how long did that did that relationship last? Uh, I can't tell you. Okay. I I'm not sure what it was. Um, I know there was a lot of success in it, and uh, we had a great team there as well, and. Uh, Pops, John Nelson's dad, was an incredible engineer, and it was always fun to be able to ask him questions. Scoop would ask him something about what did this do and what did that do on the engineering of the truck, and and Pops could always explain it, and it was always a learning curve about a lot of different things in life when you'd ask that man about washboard washboard roads and what caused them and the fact that it was tires and different uh, levels of inflation and different tire patterns and all that stuff. He was just a wealth of knowledge and and it was fun during those years getting to see that part of it. Scoop is considered one of the pioneers, probably along with Bob Gordon and some of the other names that you've mentioned. Did those guys all like hang out together? Besides at the shops, you know, you're talking about John Nelson and Pops and and with Bob Gordon and and others. Was that was that just commonplace that those guys were together? They would be together, I think, for the most part when they were testing or pre-running and and times like that. Um, we lived close to Nelson's shop when we were up on the mountain above. Palm Springs and and we would drive down the mountain to see that truck and find out what was going on with it quite frequently. I know that when Scoop was still up with the shop team that that they were over there quite a bit. But otherwise, in the off times, you were only together when you were in a race or pre-running. Okay. Who do you think was the biggest influence for Scoop? During those early race years, was there somebody that he talked about that was more like a mentor? 
I would put his dad first. Dad first. Then Bill Strop. Then Strop. Makes sense. Okay. And how long did he continue to race? Till 92 or 93. 92 or 93. And do you know what, well, I would imagine you know, where when he decided not to race anymore, what that, what was the impetus for that? Well, it was around the same time as when those four guys started the truck series with NASCAR and we just had our son and uh, he wanted to run that truck series and in doing so you couldn't, you couldn't spread yourself too thin and do things right. And he was always wanting to do it right. And so during that time frame, that's when we ran the, the truck series with NASCAR for a year and then after that, his son, Cash, was old enough to uh, be racing and starting out to race and everything. And so at that point in time, he decided it was time to cheer his kid on and, and help him develop his skills. Okay. And what was, what was he like with his son doing, doing that? I mean, I... What, what? I think he was, he was bossy. He was bossy. <laughs> he believed, and, and we used to go down, and when there was Baja race, we would literally go down there for six weeks at a time and pre-run. And I knew I was in trouble when we were stopped for the evening one time, and uh, Bob and Scoop and whoever else, Dave Ashley, whoever else was around at the time, were talking that rock outside of that tree on that turn and I knew where they were talking about it and um, and so Scoop felt very strongly that in order to succeed you couldn't have a hiccup and forget a tree or a cactus or a rock and so he had this incredible way of going over and over and over and over the course and he had a little recorder at the time that was probably two or three inches or whatever. And he would talk to himself that whole race course. And then we'd go back to the room at night and he'd lay there and he'd close his eyes and he'd play those recordings and he'd visualize it. And um, he did the same thing when he had an opportunity to race for Darren Brassfield's family that one time at Pikes Peak, except we were in that rent car and we had to wait for the mountain to open. And then, he did that same thing to memorize that course and all the dangerous turns it had. I didn't realize that he had, he had raced Pikes Peak. How did he do at that race? Um, he didn't win. Uh, he finished. I can't remember what position he did, but, um, and then going back to, back to his son real quick. Um, yes. his son didn't think it was necessary as much to pre-run and, and Scoop got real frustrated over that because he knew that was a key ticket for him being successful and, and um, not having somebody else beat you to the finish line. But yeah, he ran Pikes Peak two or three times and um, Eagle Talon, Brassfield family, BF. Um, that was mid nineties probably. Okay. And with NASCAR, he only he raced the the truck series one year. Yeah, 
did it one year. We were lucky enough to have a big plane. We could fly our crew to from and to each event. We focused on it, and uh, we had success because he won the first race with with uh, PJ Jones as our driver at Bakersfield. And uh, then we'd go to all the events everywhere. It was it was. It was really fun to get to see what the big guys did with the big cars. And after that first year's time, after we went in and it was four guys and me, we went in and they uh, put together that prototype. And we went back there to meet Mr. France. And those guys put that truck outside of Daytona and everybody had to walk past it to get into the racetrack that year. Um, They went back there and Mr. France says, well, it's a good idea, boys, but we're not really interested. Well, then the guys went out there and put on that series that first year. And Mr. France started changing his mind and started injecting the big name drivers in there. And uh, Scoop turned around one day and he says, you know what? He says, I think it's time we go back to horse racing. We make a whole lot of money there. (laughs) (laughs) But we got to do it for a year. That's awesome. And what was that year like? I mean, you're, constantly because that's that stuff's almost every weekend it was crazy busy and and uh it was uh it was fun because we always followed nascar it was fun to see in person those tracks walk up up that slope at daytona was just mind-boggling and um and so we got to see all those particular places and um do them all and it just it was something that was taking too much time away from the horse industry side of our our lives and and um like i said he did it for a year and then he said well we need to get back to what we do that makes money right that makes sense that's that was those few business classes yeah (laughs) (laughs) And then he went off road racing, (laughs) (laughs) which makes a lot of business sense. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I'll tell you that the highlight of that career was when he was racing for Nelson and Nelson and we'd stepped away from the horse industry and, and all that. And, uh, he's devoted all that time to off road racing and he was beyond proud of the fact that with his sponsorships that he'd nurtured, through all the main sponsors, we lived on that money during that time frame. He he had money to supplement the the truck racing, but for our lives, our personal lives, it meant the world to him that he was able to um, pay for our lifestyle based on the sponsorship monies. Right, and not not take it away from the the horse rate the horses. Correct. Yeah, that that's that independence again. Mm-hmm. A lot of independence. And as a as a family man, what was what was he like? He was uh, the best dad those kids could ever ask for. He um, we had a blended mix of his, hers, and ours, and uh, his son grew up with his mother and then um, I had a son and then we had Colt together. And um, when 
when he was younger and had his son, he was so involved with what he was doing in life that he didn't spend that much time with, with Cash, the young, or his, his older son. And then when we had Colt, life had changed to the point where we spent a lot of focus on growing, growing him up and doing everything. We, we homeschooled him and traveled the world with the American Quarter Horse during that time frame and and uh it was just it was fun and it was getting to do whatever blend of life we wanted to do with the racing with the cars and the horses and the horse business that's awesome and what was his relationship and this is you can you can answer this honestly or or any way you wish with mm-hmm. cash being I know that those kind of families, blended families, and and being so busy um, when you're younger and have young kids that a young child that that you get away from that. Um, what was the relationship like up, you know, up to the time when when Frank passed? It was really good. Um, Cash had big desires to race like his dad. Um, between you and I. Cash didn't have the sponsorship qualities that Scoop did. Right. And and as a result, it cost him. And um, yet, every race that Cash had, Scoop wanted to go to it, and he was there, and he chased. And they actually went, ran one race together, and it was for somebody else on the car, and I can't remember who. But um, Scoop had done his due diligence, and we'd gone down there and pre-run that case Great race course over and over and over it's down in Baja and this car was new age it had a GPS unit in it and Scoop had pre-run and done his usual notes to himself and and uh, memorizing and this kid that was co-driving when Scoop had his turn to drive told him that this turn wasn't going to be for another two miles or so. And Scoop says, no, 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 it's coming up. It's past this next pole or or, uh, pole line post, telephone pole or whatever. And the kid says, no, 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 it's, it's down further. And so Scoop listened to the kid and the turn was where Scoop said it was. And they flew off and went into a tree and then he ended up burning up the tranny pretty much before he handed the car over to to cash and and um there was frustration there on scoop's part because there was a bunch of uh spectators across this wash up on a hill and they just sat there and watched and clapped and cheered as he was stuck in this tree and then when he finally got out of the tree and got back on the course and going he went around that corner and shared a few rocks with him yeah, roosted them. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's, I've the I've been in, I've been roosted before. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It was uh, I I got roosted as part of a thing we were we were um, working with Pistol Pete's crew and mm-hmm. Fast Eddie is what he goes by. Heard Robbie Gordon coming up, you know <laughs> that that you distinctly can tell the motors and. Yeah. So as Robbie comes around the corner, we were on the inside of the corner. Fast Eddie decided he was going to uh, show him the moon. And <laughs> Robbie saw it, 
swung the car back around really quickly and was able to roost Eddie and <laughs> us, my wife and I, and our Jeep because we were parked behind where he oh. was at. And it was it was yeah. absolutely f- the funniest thing that I'd ever seen because Fast Eddie thought he was getting away with something and, and, it, and it turned around on him. But uh, yeah. that was pretty funny. Well, I remember those early years of going to the Hall of Fame deal. And watching these guys nervously come up to scoop and and uh, remind him of a motorcycle on a certain turn or a certain straightaway or whatever, and how they remember him nudging him just kind of off to the side, and he didn't ever hurt anybody or do anything bad in that respect, but he but he did remind him that he was there and he was bigger than them, right. <laughs> That's uh, that's important for for those those all, those other classes to remember that go off before the trucks and and stuff. Well, I, that was when I learned about how he would run up on him hard and then lock it up, and it would spit the rocks forward. <laughs> A warning. <laughs> yes. Hey, I'm back here. <laughs> Get out of the way. <laughs> yeah. The freight yeah. train is coming. Yep. Yep. We had a, a run-in. We met some people, um, some guys down from Canada, I think it was, that were racing quads. And they were talking about how they were – it was at Mike Sky Ranch. And they were talking mm-hmm. about how they were going to be so fast. And I said, well, you know, you guys take off just before – you know, you're like the last class that goes out, sportsman quads, before mm-hmm. the trophy trucks leave a few hours later. I said, the trophy trucks will catch you. And this, these guys were like convinced they were not going to be caught. And I said, no, the, you're going to get caught. And when you do, you need to get off the race course. When you see the, <laughs> that city of lights come up behind you, because yep. it's going to be nighttime or early morning, you need to move because these guys are, these guys are, are in the hunt. They're the yep. leaders of the pack. And when you see these guys, you need to just get out of the way because – a quad and a you know a truck that weighs weighs as much as a school bus is not no you know yeah no comparison. I'll tell you something else. That you just remind me because you said Mike Sky Ranch. Mike's Mike and and Scoop's father were were good friends, and uh, we spent a lot of time up there with Mike, and we'd go down and we'd pre run with Mike, and there was always some interesting routes that he'd show scoop. And one of the fun things was to get done with the race and come back and sit down and say, well, do you use any of them? Nope. Nope. He says it was just, it, but, but you couldn't tell Mike, no, if he wanted to show you a secondary route, he was going to show you. And um, we got to spend many years down there with him one-on-one and, and that was some real special times. Oh, I can imagine. I can imagine. I, I wish that's one of the things I wish I had more time to do is to spend time in Baja. It's such a special place. Yeah. Such there a was a an ambulance from Los Alamitas down there for years in Santa Inez that Scoop's dad had donated. And it was the only ambulance they had down in that area. But um there was all sorts of little things around the peninsula that his dad or he had created and it was, and he always paid homage to him. He'd always go back and visit and, 
and um, check in on those people. That's that says a lot. That's great character. Yeah. And those are the kind of reasons that he's in the that he's actually in the Hall of Fame. You know, you yeah. can you can have wins and you can be an innovator, but it's how you treat people. Well, and the giving back. That's that's always been a real strong part of of our belief is what can you get back to the industry? And it's, you know, everybody can go out and win races, but it's the little things you can do to get back to the sport that are the world's biggest things. Can you, can you discuss the, the incident with Frank's passing, Scoop's passing? Yeah, he, uh, he was an avid fisherman. We were, and, uh, he had uh, made a, a date to go up to Montana, big sky country, and go fly fishing with a friend of his that was from the horse side of life. And um, he had uh, been under the tutelage of Mike Venable on the airplane that we had. It was a Arrow commander and uh, Mike had been the guy that had taught him everything and he'd wanted to uh, get certified for when you wear a mask you, uh, for IFR and instrument rating and uh, I was against it I didn't want him to because I knew him well enough to know it would be me that would be the one keeping current with all the rules and regulations. And um, Mike was really adamant about how much better of a pilot it would make him. And, and I knew Scoop too well. I knew that um, he would learn it and he would use it. But I just wasn't comfortable with him converting over. And, and when he took off for that trip to Montana... He had started carrying a canister of oxygen, and and uh, he'd go up and above the VFR ratings where he could get above storms and stuff like that. And uh, he he had uh, he diced up that plane one other time, and I was with him, and I was in ag, and and I knew it was cold outside, I knew it was raining. I said something, and he looked at his temperature gauge, and he he immediately dropped at 5,000 feet. And I can tell you that if I would have been there that day, it wouldn't have happened just because I, I flew the plane when it was he and I, because I was the autopilot and I could keep it on track, altitude, destination, all that stuff. I knew how to do it. And um, I had gotten him a, iPad and I'd put some of the um, weather apps in there so he could keep on top of what the weather was doing, where he was going and everything. And, and I called him that morning and uh, I told him that there was really bad weather between where he was at and where he was going. And um, he was already up in the air. And um, next thing I know, Mike Venable called me and he says, we're scooped. And I said, he's going fly fishing up in Montana. And 
Mike dropped an F-bomb, and he says, I'll call you back. And that was when I knew. They'd um, flew into weather. He iced up, lost a wing, and it spiraled down on a cattle ranch. It ended up being friends of friends. And um, he never had a chance. It was once the wing snapped off, they were done. And, um, you know, it all goes back to if if I would have been supportive of him going with uh, instrument rating, would he still be here? I don't know. I just know that um, he felt that he was invincible. And that there's a, an old saying that said, there's old and bold pilots, but there's no old, bold pilots. And he ended up being one. Right. Well, thank you for sharing that. I know that's got to be tough. Yeah. Never goes away. Right. No, because he was taken way too soon. Yep. And what would you say would be his mantra if he had one in life? You know, what was what was his what was his driving force? What was what was a, a sentence that might encapsulate that? It's all about the horsepower. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Awesome. He, he was the epitome of that. Well, with that, Bonnie, I would like to say thank you so much for for spending the time and talking about Frank and a little bit about your 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 life with him as well and mm-hmm. the family and and the driving forces behind, you know, Frank Scoop Vessels, and I appreciate the time. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate you taking the time, Rich. And Thank I you. hope at the uh, at at the Ormhoff um, ce- um, celebration this year, if you're there, um, I'd like to meet yeah. you in person and say hello. Yes, sir. That will happen. Excellent. You have a great All day. Right. Well, thanks, Rich. Okay. Thank you. Bye bye. Right. Well, that's another episode of Conversations with Big Rich. I'd like to thank you all for listening. If you could do us a favor and uh, leave us a review on any podcast service that you happen to be listening on, or send us an email or a text message or a Facebook message, and let me know uh, any ideas that you have, or if there's anybody that you have that you think would be a great guest, please forward the contact information to me so that we can uh, try to get them on. And always remember, live life to the fullest. Enjoying life is a must. Follow your dreams and live life with all the gusto you can. Thank you.